1: Ladies and gentlemen, broadcasting from beautiful South Bermondsey, this is Achtung Millwall.
3: Hello and welcome to Acton Millwall. Uh, my name is Harry Warren. Uh, Nick's unavailable to do the game this week, so we have a little bit of action here from the Priestfield where Millwall played Ginlam in some summer sunshine. And the big news before the game is that Millwall will have some injury problems, um, meaning that the team will be King, Goal, Romeo, Webster, Hutchinson, Martin, Worrell, Thompson, Williams, Wallace and Morrison-O'Brien up front. So there's no Tony Craig and no Shane Ferguson due to injuries, but Lee Gregory is back on the bench. Two and a half thousand Millwall fans here today. Mate and centre just before kickoff. Very sparsely attended game from the Gillingham supporters. I reckon there might be collectively 3,000, 4,000 in today. It's not a lot really when you come to think of it when Millwall brought 2,500. 20 minutes gone. Um, quite an even game. Um, Millwall had a couple of chances, so at Gillingham, um, ex lion Lee Martin was brought down in a pelty area. Referee didn't give a penalty, didn't book him either, so we don't know what's going on now. Uh, But so far, quite an even game after 20 minutes. Half time here. Um, Well, it's not been very, very good. Uh, The referee's been awful. Lee Martin, former Lion, could have been sent off um, for a tackle on Romeo. And if he had already been booked for a dive in the penalty area. um, He's collected a few wanker chants from the Royal Faithful. Um, but, yeah, other than that, Morrison's had a couple of chances, but Millwall have been poor in all honesty. Um, possibly the better side, but that's probably being a bit biased. Anyway, there we go.
2: Millwall have just gone a goal down a corner that was never a corner from
3: where we're standing. Jo- King was pushed out for a corner, and uh, given by the linesman, not by the referee, from the resulting corner. He made a point-blank save, and it, it felt to you know player in the box who's volleyed home and they are 1-0 down with results not going their way and here go a goal from somewhere an equaliser Steve Morrison
2: great play down the left there well right hand side between basically three or four players one twos inside shot by Wallace outside the area a spill by the keeper and a volley in by
1: Steve Morrison, 1-1! One, one.
3: Uh, hello and uh, welcome to Act Millwall, the home game against Northampton Town. Nick again isn't able to come to the game, so you've got me again. Um, no team numbers yet, just before the game. I'll let you know when I know. So here we go, here's the team to play Northampton, with King in goal, Romeo, Webster, Hutchinson, and um, Joe Martin keeping his face in the side across the back four, Wallace, Thompson, Williams and O'Brien in the midfield with Gregory and Morrison up front, Um, the subs are Archer, Cooper, Cummings, Abdu, Butcher, Fred Onibina and Worrell. Not too sure about the new music before the game but there we go. Apologies if last week the uh, footage from the Gilliam away game cut off rather lively. My uh, phone battery died at the end of the game, so I couldn't get the full-time whistle. Um, But nothing really much happened. We had a couple of chances after we scored, but nothing really clear cut. I thought we'd done well to get a point. Still no Tony Craig and no Shane Ferguson due to injury. Um, With a game in mind on Monday, this is the easier of the two, supposedly. So, if they can come back for Monday and we're 100% fit for today, I think it's a good decision for Bill Harris. I don't want to put a bock on this, but this is the third time I've done live commentary and live analysis from the game. And we've not won. Um, so, I don't want to call it on, but I might be a bot, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go, kick-off. Northampton, kick it straight out of play. Two
2: minutes in. Goalkeeper, clearance, I've cleared. Just about wins That's it, we a chance. Gregory pressed the defender, who played it back to Milvadsen Town's goalkeeper, who took a massive slice at the ball, which luckily didn't fall for any Millwall one-coming players. Two minutes gone. Five minutes gone.
3: Good opening five minutes from the Lions. A lot more energy than what they showed at Ginningham. Looked like they're pressing quite high. Trying to play the ball into feet. It's unusual for this season nine minutes gone, Aino Brian's just hit a post from outside the box. I was saying that he'd shoot, to be honest, and uh, be a ball breeding bastard. So it was a great shot, caught the goalkeeper, unawares, and smashed the inside of the post. A clear penalty just turned down by Millwall. Gregory absolutely smashed in the box. One-on-one with a goalkeeper, smashed by a player coming back round the side, and has not been given. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, it's the worst decision you'll see this season. Honestly, it was that bad. 20 minutes gone, still nil-nil. Um, contentious game really caused by the referee. Um, we're all the better side. It was a lot of the ball, a lot of half chances. Not really made one clear, cut one apart from the one where Gregory was side down in the area and the referee didn't give a penalty. As I say that, we're all in a throw in deep in Northampton's Half. And the referee has decided to blow up for a sub already for Northampton.
2: What a goal by Aidan O'Brien. I'm starting to take back everything I ever said about him. What a fucking goal. A 1-2 of headers with him and another Millwall player. Edge of the box on the volley from about just behind the penalty spot. Hits the bar and goes in. What a fucking goal! Goal of the season. Better than he's won the
3: other week. In my money, what a fucking goal! 27 minutes gone. What a goal that was. I, I can't. If you weren't here, you missed one of the great Mill goals. I'm, I'm not. I'm not exaggerating that enough. 32 minutes gone. Northampton counter attack. Great save budget, uh, by Jim. My goal. Really good save down to his right-hand side after the nice work from Northampton. Nearly an own goal here with a fantastic save by King. Deflected. Cross going towards the goal. Hutchinson deflected it and from inside the six-yard box, King's tipped it over somehow. I don't know, 35 gone. 2
2: 0 Mill Millwall! You wait there like buses! You wait for a great Millwall goal and you get two on the same day! Jeff Wallace, what a fucking goal! edge of the box, Steven Gerrard, Frank lampard what a fucking hit son, it stayed it, what a goal, Millwall letting loose, Nick Hart, what a game to pick to miss,
3: 38 gone, to get a corner, what a, uh, the, the goals today have been brilliant, They're going forward, Millwall have been so much better than they were Saturday against England, <laughs> Those cheese performances, if you said Millwall last Saturday we're at the bottom half of the table, I would agree with you. Today they look like they're, they're cut above this league, as I say this as they're about to have a corner and make it 2-1. I think they've played rather well, better than some of the sides that have come down here recently, and they're 2-0 down, but they have played well. It's
1: three, eight
3: O'Brien sets up Jeb Wallace for
2: a third, all three of the goals have been good. That's too
3: much better
1: than this, but this is more a Millwall goal. Great
3: work by O'Brien down on the left hand side. Pulled it back to Wallace. Slam zone. In injury time in the first half, it's Millwall 3. Not nil. Achtung. Lions back out for the second half. 3 0 up. The is going a few more. we two minutes in. Gregory's missed the chance, from inside the six-yard box, one-on-one, crossed in, beautiful counter-attack by Millwall, Um, just missed the chance again there, still came forward, so, so much better, we look like a team that's in the top six and should be going out of this division, really, really good performance by the Lions so far.
1: Achtung, Millwall.
3: Basically, this is a quick um, summary of the game today obviously, um you would have heard by now the commentary that I was doing on behalf of a Vector Mill and uh, obviously of Nick um Hart who'd asked me to do it um I stopped commentating or commenting on the game um sort of sixty minute mark maybe um as you become aware that there was an incident occurring above where I sit um one row a couple of bows uh. Blocks down, sort of above me, um, to the point where the club um, asked fans to move away from the incident. Um, they were saying it was an incident at the time um, in block nineteen, which is above where I sit. The the club obviously then. Subsequently, the game was continuing at this time. Obviously, Mill being 3 0 up, the game was pretty much sewn up at the time. Um, obviously, because of my position, I couldn't see what was going on and very much was refer- kept looking at uh, Twitter for updates and, and sort of general hearsay around the ground. I must say that the, the atmosphere, obviously, clearly, as three sides of the ground could see what was going on. Went like, went completely silent and still, very, very eerie atmosphere. Um, obviously, football became nothing. Um, realistically, obviously, football is nothing compared to the incident that was happening above. Um, and clearly, they must have been distressing the scenes because even the even the players saw um, there was comments of such as that people were having CPR, um, or a gentleman was having CPR up in the up in the tier, um, which obviously scared people, um, or not scared people, but distressed people. Um, obviously, I I stopped recording as I said and. When it came to the end of the game there was a couple of fans who encroached onto the pitch when the additional time additional time um, was put up. The referee decided that there needed to be four minutes more despite there being um, notices put over the tannoy for people in blocks 18, 19 uh, and 17 to leave the East Upper and come down to the East Lower I sit. Um to uh, to make space for more medical personnel um, obviously this w- this was adhered to obviously as it should have been and as it was no doubt by all millwall fans involved and millwall fans came down they were then asked could all fans in the East Stand when the game is over, leave as quickly as you can, which you did. There was no rendition of rocking all over the world. It was obviously a very serious, um, life-threatening situation that uh, someone was someone was clearly in. Um, a big shout-out to the Northampton Town fans who were brilliant. They clapped. Um, they were 3-0 down. and. and and clapped and cheered, tried to uh, blowing whistles to try and get the referee to blow up early, Um, singing along with us to blow the fucking whistle, which the referee obviously didn't take the the people coming to the pitch to tell the referee. And within 30 seconds of that, the referee decided that enough was enough and the game was over. Um, A really strange way to end a 3-0 game, which had arguably two of the best Millwall goals I've ever seen. Um I mean definitely, definitely goal of the season contenders. Um but kind of the shine's been taken off the performance and really the result with obviously the uh the incident and the poor the poor gentleman or lady in um who's in some some trouble up in the east upper. Um, from what I've heard on Twitter she's um, the person in general was, um, has managed to get to hospital breathing under their own power, and obviously I wish, uh, as do all the Millwall fans out there, wish, um, wish the person a speedy recovery and the best of best of health.
0: OK, big welcome on the show to Paul Turner. Welcome back to the show, Paul.
4: Morning, Nick. Nice to
0: hear you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yourself. I think the last time you and me spoke on the show was at, was at Charlton earlier on the season, so it's great to have you back. Um, yep. No, I, I wasn't at the Den on Friday. I was midway between Cornwall uh, and somewhere north of the M4, because that was shut, but quite a dramatic afternoon's events, in, in all honesty, at the Den. And the, as we were just saying off air, mate, the the football slightly overshadowed by, um, you know, by other events, really, wasn't it?
4: Well, yeah, by all accounts. Um, I mean, I sit in the uh, Dockers Upper, and this unfolded in, in, I think, Block 18, which is along from where I am.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
4: it was very difficult to actually see anything from where I was sitting. But it, um, it became apparent that I think it was around about midway, uh, through the second half, there was an announcement um of asking people to clear a certain area and I okay. thought i didn't really understand what was going on and uh and basically uh, about ten minutes later, it became a you know, quite a desperate announcement to get people downstairs from okay. block eighteens and nineteens um and the, the situation uh quickly filtered through to us that some poor poor chap had had a heart attack
0: right. I mean when um, I, mean, I was following yeah. it on twitter um and it I mean again, in a similar way you've just described the um you know, the initial tweets I think it was from lion's live Radio. just said there was a fan seemingly hurt in in the East up, and then, as you say the the tone of the uh of the of the Twitter messages became more um serious and somber I think as it went along because <clears throat> I think everyone feared the worst there didn't they
4: well I think um <clears throat> We'll talk about the game later. effectively the yeah, game, in Monty, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, which which is no, you know, that's not a problem. I think what 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 was happening is, um, as I as I left the ground, I, the rumor was that the blankets were being brought out not to keep him warm, but to cover him up.
0: I read that. Yeah, that, I read that.
4: And that was and that was quite um, obviously an astounding situation to be involved in. Even though I was quite a bit removed from where he was, but you know, I'd never seen anything like like that happen in the new or the old den, as far as I'm aware.
0: No, I can't think of that. Um, no. You um, know,
4: we, we had the Cardiff fan off the top of the stand, but apart from that, there's no real incident like this I, I can recall. And um, no, it was, uh, it was obviously very, very disconcerting.
0: Yeah, I mean, as, as I say, I mean, following it on Twitter, which is a, it was a strange way to follow an event like this because you, you do get a sense of the, um, a kind of an incen a sense of impending bad news as as it, the afternoon wore on and the football, yeah. aspect faded into very much. Um, well, I wouldn't even say second place, to be honest with you. Um no. no. Because it becomes, a, you know, it, suddenly you, you get this sense, Paul, that of the triviality of it all in a sense when you're setting it against life and death um, and it did seem that bad news was on the way but um, I think that the the storyline which I think we, we should um, probably emphasise here is the miraculous and I don't know if that's the right word it's the only word I've got for it Paul but the miraculous work of the Millwall Match Day medical team who um, kept this chap going they've revived him from, from as I understand it actually... Um, uh, being, um, you know, dead, for for want of a better way to put it. At one point, they revived him and kept him going to hospital, um, which is, it's, it's, yeah. I, I mean, don't have another word for it. I don't know if you do, mate. I'm not religious. It's but, a very
4: uh, apt time of year to talk about miracles. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not necessarily scro- subscribing to that. But what I would say is my, my info is that <clears throat> they were working on him for the best part of half an hour, mm.
0: um,
4: and uh, he was technically not breathing for a, a period of time, maybe around about a third of that time. Um, and they kept going on him. And they obviously knew that maybe there was a faint pulse, but they obviously knew that there was a situation there that they could they could actually bring him back. And um, all I can say is that, you know, my, my wife works in the medical profession and receives training, even though she's sort of in maternity. But yeah. to, all I can say is that, you know, the dedication of these people, is unbelievable whether or not they're volunteers or employed. Um, their knowledge is immense, uh, their dedication is unreal. And what they did for that guy, obviously, he and his family, assuming he pulls through, yeah. will always be in their debt
0: absolutely i mean i i i saw I second that and endorse it entirely i mean there's a i've picked out one tweet there's there's loads and loads of messages online paul you you'll have seen the same stuff yeah um one here i've pulled out it just seems to say it all it says what what we're all thinking really from a a chap called charlie kent and his words um, are to uh, a bloke called Ken Spearpoint. Who's one he's, he's one of the medical matchday team. He's one of the, along with Professor Leary, who is who heads up the um, the Mill Matchday medical team. Anyway, um, Charlie's words are: "You saved the man's life today. I hope you realise the appreciation people have for you and your your colleagues' amazing work." Says Charlie Kent. And I, I just think that says it all. There's not there's not really um, any other way to put it. But it was. Immense, immense work by that team to save that guy's life, there, Paul.
4: I think that um, these sort of people are a very special breed. Uh, I, you know, I've, we've probably all done first aid training, and and you sort of think you'll never need it. And all of a sudden, something like this happens. Um, I probably personally would have frozen, but these people have cut apart. You know, they, they're, Absolutely. they're a different. They're, they're they're different people to us, and and they they're selfless. And they just keep going. They have an empathy for for their fellow fellow man that that some some of us just just don't have or can't react to, um, you know. And that's that's a, a massive amount of respect goes from me personally. And obviously, I'm sure I don't wish to speak for the fans, but I'm sure all the fans agree with that.
0: Well, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, on, on that subject, I've written a few notes down ahead of you and me speaking this morning. But one thing that's Struck me um, online the amount of tweets from Northampton fans. Um, I understand there was a show of support inside the ground from the Northampton end. Um, yes, which is something to say, isn't it? I mean, we live in a cynical, you know, a mixed up, messed up world, so to speak. And sometimes, I mean, I, I could only put it in one way on, the, on on Twitter this morning. It's like a there's a fundamental decency in people, and it, it came out in that in that situation.
4: Well, yeah, it's a respect for one's fellow human beings, which I think that um, we all should have. And sometimes we, we we forget about that sort of thing. I think with regards to the Northampton fans and, and, and the way that they behave, it was exemplary. Um, I think that that, that behaviour was massively appreciated by the home support. Um, and that's continued. I mean, I, I, I haven't really been a lot been around on social media too much over the last day yeah. or so, but having had a look this morning prior to our conversation, it, it, it's continued. You know, on Twitter, on Facebook, and and I think that the clubs, the two clubs, maybe there's for, for this reason alone, there's a little bit of a link there now. And you know, I'm not, I'm not particularly against it. At the end of the day, um, they showed respect, they showed restraint. So did their own fans, and you know, someone's alive today. That maybe wouldn't have been two or three days ago if none of these things had happened. You know, if people hadn't got out of the way quickly, um, and stopped crowding the guy. Yeah. You know, there's 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 lots of scenarios that could have happened, and they could have been a lot worse,
2: frankly.
0: <laughs> Absolutely uh, agree with that entirely. There's, there's two appeals online, two separate appeals online for fans that will wish to uh, donate. Um, one for the chap concerned I don't know if I'm out of order naming him But I, I, I think it's online So I don't think I'm out particularly out of line yes. But Anthony Murphy is the chap concerned yes. There is a yes. uh, a just giving um, page And I'll, I'll put these in the show notes It's hard to read these out Because they're, they're long And they don't always um, come yes. over well verbally. Cool. There's a link to Anthony's to, um Which I think has got about 600 pounds 700 pounds Already on there, um, Paul um, yes. as, as a means of support for him personally And his family um, we'll be posting that set, but I've already posted it on Twitch. I, I'm sure the um, that will be done by the AMS feed and and uh, and others too. Get, yeah, we'll, <clears throat> we'll pick it up. It'll, um, it'll get picked up. And the second one um, also for the. Um, for a charity called Basics, I hadn't heard of them. Um, I, my initial thought was it was St John's Ambulance that um, assist our, our match Day team. They, they do locally, not so much from oh. the HQ point of view, I'm told. So we don't want to get too much into uh, St John's politics. But um, the, the support that we are um, told is needed most is by a charity called Basics. That's all in capital letters, uh, Basics underscore HQ on Twitter. Um and there's another link on online food to, to um, you know supply equipment for the match day team or, or as they see fit anything else they may or may not need. That's over eleven hundred pounds. I looked this morning. So yeah. again, we'll give that a boost, Paul. Too. Um, yeah. The, the generosity of Millwall fans, Paul, is is absolutely incredible, mate. I, I it never ceases to take me aback when when we get these situations. It's it's just so. Immediate and warm, and there it is. You know, for the club that get for the fan base that gets slagged as it does, there is that is the other side of the coin, mate, isn't it?
4: It very much is. If anybody hasn't yet read the Michael Calvin book, "Family Life, Devon Football," uh, just read it, and you get a, you get a sense about what what this club, its players, its you know its backroom staff. You'll get a sense about what it's all about, really. Um, and you know, I'm. For one, uh, I'm very, very proud to be part of it, and you know I have been like you, Nick, for quite a while. Um, but we welcome all comers, don't we? We, we do. new and old. And and as I say, the the, the family side of the club, um, we are, you know, we trot this out the biggest small club in the world. <laughs> everybody knows us. Everybody knows us, and we're part of it. And we should be proud of that.
0: Well said. Well said. So we'll close that little bit there. Thanks to the Millwall Match Day team. Um, we've said it all. Um, we'll continue to say it. Thanks to the Northampton Football Club and their fans and their supporters. Thanks to the Millwall fans within the stadium and we'll be boosting the um, the two appeals. And finally, our thoughts go out to Anthony Murphy and his family at this difficult time. He's, he, he's, as far as we know, he's not out of the woods by any stretch. He's still in the game, so that's all you can ever be. But we send our best wishes to that family because that's a difficult situation to be in. Um, Absolutely. On to the football, Paul, um, which was equally dramatic. In its way yeah. <laughs> you know on any other day um, this would have been the the, the opening um, the opening gambit of the show but it, it, it's um, there it is it's in its in its rightful place um, yep. I've written down a fine win um, overshadowed by a field events but um, what a dramatic um, opening first half that was um,
4: uh, yeah I mean I, I truly believe that and, and again you know let's, let's we just talked about the the other scenario at the game and the situation with Anthony but i i believe that had you know this game should have probably been the best win we've ever had at that ground yeah in terms yeah. of yeah. in terms of goals scored i i i'm sitting there in the in the first half and i'm going right should be six already i mean you
0: know I'm well, going, this yeah. is what I'm not, I mean one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I've only gone by Twitter and I've only gone by the yeah. um the the YouTube goals that you get on online so um yes. the dominance <clears throat> of the first half struck me I mean we've got the early chance for Gregory for pen, which it looked like a penalty on on YouTube I don't know how it was in yeah. real time Look, the man, the man clipped his ankles and for reasons beyond me the referee doesn't see that um no. That would have been early in the game, was it about in the first five minutes or so? Did that chance? Yeah, like yeah, that? it
4: was it was it was fairly early on. I thought it was I mean, I thought it was a pen. It's it you know, again, like you say, real time it's very, very difficult. The ref you would like to think the ref's Johnny on the stop, but um and I don't think the ref was I mean, I know people have had a pop with the ref yeah for other reasons, but I don't think the ref was actually that bad. I thought he let the game go quite a bit and I I don't mind that because of the the era I'm from. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, I mean, you know, we went in 3 0 up. We should have been six or seven. I mean, one of the worst misses I've seen for a while by Gregory. Um, and and, and I, I'd like, I know, you know, you've talked in the past with, I think it's Harry, mm. who can't stand Aiden O'Brien.
0: Well, I want to come on um, to that, I, yeah.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've got a few words to say about Aiden O'Brien. And, and, you know, I thought it was a massively good performance in the first half. I think the only disappointment was that if you looked at the goal difference on the table between us and Southhead at that point, yeah. at that point, we were in a position where we could, rack, we could have racked up a cricket score and, and, and matched, got somewhere near their goal difference. Do you, um, do you think, I think it might be important?
0: <laughs> do you think the subdued atmosphere in the ground may have played its part there, Paul? I mean, would, I mean, obviously oh. you can't odds these things, but would that have? Um, was there a flattening out of of, 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 the, yeah, of the stadium? The, I guess the, there would be.
4: In the se- yeah, in the second half there was. But but my point is, <clears> sticking to the first half, we, we we could have been we could have been six up in the first half.
0: So we've been. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> some. Sloppy. I'm sure
4: somebody might counter that. But, mm. uh, in my mind, we, we 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 were away. We could have packed up at half time so yeah, the, the second half sh- shenanigans over in block 18, 19, of course, you know, subdued the second half. But my point is is that is that with with a bit more killer instinct we could have been we could have been far and away
1: Fair in first half yeah.
4: anyway. I mean I know three nil's far and away. I'm talking about, you know, when you're looking at the end of the season,
0: five or six about, would have made I mean, a difference, it, yeah. yeah.
4: It could have done, yeah. Um right, we're standing at South End scored four. Um, but we didn't know that at that point, you know. No, no. Um, no, no. So, you know. But it, look, let's not detract away from a really, really good performance for, for, for at least an hour. I mean, it was it was brilliant,
0: really good. Fantastic goal by Aidan you know, O'Brien to open open the account yesterday. I mean, that was um, on in its own right. That would normally be a contender for one of the goals of the season, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. A little bit of head tennis. Well, well,
4: not even the best goal in the game. But yeah, no. you're right. Um, <laughs> uh, it was. It was. Look, I, I I make no bones about. Aiden is a frustrating player, but he's a beast. He is. I really believe. I really believe that he. <clears throat> I'm going to get slagged for this, but I really believe that technically, as a finisher, he's better than Gregory.
0: I agree with you there, Paul. He, he, he's. He. I think his problem, uh, and it's been. I think Neil Harris in the fans forum that uh, we watched online. Um. Maybe. Maybe went, I don't know. But. Um. I think he identified with the body language, the whole kind of the the, the, the kind of um, the switching off sense you get with Aidan O'Brien. I think that's probably where you were going with your, you know, your references to pressing on and getting more goals and piling it on. He he tends to um, achieve these moments and then almost rest on his laurels slightly, doesn't he? Um, uh, yes, yes, but I don't think he did that in
4: yesterday's game. I thought no. he worked
0: hard.
4: Well, I I I. I, I... I
0: thought he worked hard yesterday. I mean, I'm a fan. I mean, I I I, I read and hear a lot of people slating Aidan O'Brien. I refer him to yesterday's opening goal, which was um, a touch of brilliance. I, there's not many players can do that, Paul, are there? That was a you know a little bit of head tennis. It falls to him and just inside the penalty, and he lashed it in on the volley. Um, you know, at a higher level, they would be raving about that. As it is, it's League One, and no one will get to see very much of it. But that was a top quality finish.
4: But you had you had. Yeah, add Gregory's penalties onto O'Brien's tally this this season. Most of what O'Brien's done has been from the left side of the front three, right? right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, he's up there with James Vaughn.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I, I mean, I, I, just before the, the the show, I was looking at the club stats, and I mean, this is all competition goal scoring. So Steve Morrison leads it on sixteen, yeah. sixteen yeah. goals. Lee Gregory's on fifteen goals. And then Aidan O'Brien's on 15 goals. The only thing that separates them, if you really want to be picky, and and some do, is that Steve Morrison's 16 goals include six assists to others. Gregory's 15 includes seven assists. He leads the the club table on assists. Uh, Whereas Aidan O'Brien's 15 goals has just three assists. So he doesn't create as much as the other two strikers. Um, I'll
4: give you another stat in the league. right? because no. I've written this down. Okay. Aiden O'Brien, 13 goals, 4 assists,
0: right? Mhm.
4: Shots on shots on target 63%,
0: right? Okay.
4: Look at Lee Gregory, 15 goals, 4 assists, shots on target 58%. Right. Lee Gregory's our penalty taker.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't helped with those couple of, um, you know, awful penalties up at Oldham a few weeks back. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I take your point. I mean, I I think we're blessed with three fantastic strikers. uh, Each one of one of whom would be the jewel in the crown of of most clubs in that league. Um, Absolutely, and we should
4: we should accept that. We should. I think there's a lot of people that say, you know, I think that probably Lee Gregory has got a lot of good uh, points to his game that Aiden needs to develop and I'm not sure if you know if Aiden can do that but we'll see hopefully um, and hopefully we benefit as a club from it um, so there's a lot for, for Aiden to learn from, from Gregory in terms of work rate and you know Gregory you know he, he really does run himself into the ground when he's fully fit I happen to think he's not fit at the moment no, um, obviously Morrison is an example of a surly striker that just doesn't stop and you know we've we've loved him for years and i think if aidan can just maybe put his attitude aside slightly and take and take the instructions from some of his fellow pros that have been around a little bit longer than he has i think this boy could i you know look at his finishing he's got he's got the raw material there
0: absolutely uh, he does i mean i think
4: he could do it you know in the t- in the championship
0: I agree. I, I think the the interesting attribute that Morrison acquired over, I mean, we we have known him since um, was it twenty ten twenty oh nine when he first came to like us. That, yeah. Um, but he he added that streak of miserable bastardness to his game, didn't he? It, it, that that developed when he <laughs> when he first came to us. He was criticised by Kenny Jacket famously in the in the book um, for for being too much Mister Nice Guy. Um, yeah. And so he's added that streak of moaning and in the referee's ear. And I have read on yet line yesterday he's, he's having a dig at the linesman. He's, he's, he's you know, and he's, he's, he's made himself a nuisance for defenders. Um, yeah. To an extent, Paul, I'd say Lee has also acquired that from one of the masters of the trade, which was Neil Harris. Um, oh, absolutely. It's an important streak to have as a striker, isn't it? I mean, if Aiden can add that, and I don't think he does quite have that quality... With his talent, his innate talent, I think you've really got a striker on your hands. Then, um, whether he can do, of course, is another matter. Um, well,
4: look at look at one of another one of our ex ex strikers um, doing it, um, Lewis and John. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: you, yeah, yeah. If
4: you look at the pressure that comes onto a Millwall boy coming into the Millwall team, <coughs> who who obviously has talent but can't do it at Millwall.
0: Yeah, there's a layer um, of pressure there. I do agree. Yeah,
4: there's a layer of pressure. You know, Aidan has managed to sort of come through that, um, and he just needs to—he just needs to hone his game a little bit more. But I think we've got the people around him to to help him do that. And and if he wants to learn, this is the, the key, I suppose. Yeah. If he actually wants to do it, I've I've seen him play in the championship. I think the Brentford game away when when we we should have won. He was he was, and that was in the championship. Yeah. And he he was unreal that game.
0: Made a nice. Nice nice partnership with Lee Gregory that day, if memory serves. Um, yeah. Morrison um, was out, it, wasn't he? He'd um,
4: for
0: the future. So, spectacular volley from Aiden, um, to open the mm. account. And then probably one of the best goals I've ever seen, um, albeit um, you know, one step removed via, via the, U, the miracle of YouTube, from Jed Wallace to make it 2-0. I mean, uh, Charlie Mahoney on online compared it with Shades of Marco Van Basten, 1988. It was an incredible strike, wasn't it? I
4: I I was right behind it. it uh, t- the sky highlights and 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 the YouTube footage does not do it justice.
0: Really? <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, I, I, honestly, it <clears throat> reminds me. Do you remember Uncle Leslie's long one at the Den? I can't remember who it was against, but he absolutely clouted it. Yeah. I, I I looked at I looked at it. I'm sitting in block fifteen. I'm behind it, and he's hit this ball, and it's it's bent into the corner, and I'm going, I. Oh, There's not a lot I can say about. It. I sat there a little bit stunned.
0: I think everyone was I mean, everyone. watching yeah. up, watching the TV. There's, there's a there's a moment it flies in, obviously. I don't think there's a goalkeeper in the world would have done any better than the um, Northampton goal, goalkeeper didn't get close to it. And then there's a there's the initial celebration of of the um, of the goal, and then there's a kind like a, a stunned realization of what he's just done. If you've watched the YouTube, and I recommend listeners do do that if you've not done it already, it's 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 like a it's like a delayed um, a delayed response to it, Paul, isn't there? I've Incredible jumped goal! Up,
4: jumped up like I normally do, making an idiot of myself, and then <laughs> and then and then basically I've I've, I've looked at me mate, I've gone. The fucking hell just happened? Yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I know people think, "Oh, he's being dramatic," but but being right behind it and watching it bend in, it, it, it honestly, it was an absolute rasper.
0: An incredible goal. I mean, I think he you know also the third goal. I'm just I'm just looking at here a, a Morrison quick that throw. Bad. Um bad. You know, Brian Cross and 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 then a, you know ruthless finish inside the box by Jed Wallace. Um, what was his overall performance like in the game, Paul? I mean, he that, 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 seems to stand out on the on the, the selected highlights I've seen. Was it was it a, a strong Wallace performance overall, disregarding the obvious? I,
4: I think it, I think it was probably one of his strongest that I've seen. I mean, I, I you know I, I'm not a professional that watches football. I just sit there and you know I hope my team wins. Mm. But he's 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 certainly a really good addition to the squad. Yesterday he was. You know, he it was a very, very, um, very good performance. He he seems to have taken his time to come back in. He does. To playing, yeah. to play. Well, I, I don't know why that is, whether or not he has had knocks and, and little niggles. But what I can say now is that if you look at where we are in the league, how many games we've got to go, and the prospect of, of playoff football, this is the player or one of the players that you really need to be coming into form right at this moment in time?
0: Uh, he's, I mean, he's certainly he's certainly got the, the ability. He's a creative player. And the fact he's coming into form at this moment in the season is, is it could be critical, couldn't it? I mean, 3-0 settled it. Um, as you say, we could have pressed on and got more before half-time. Perhaps a pity we didn't, because um, just looking at the table here now, um, Southend did press on, got four goals. And as you say, the, the goal difference... Um, May be critical at the end of the season. Um, we, we're currently in sixth spot, uh, one one point yeah. ahead of South End, but they have a, a far superior eighteen, well, not far superior six goals difference, <clears throat> a superior goal uh, goal difference to us. Um, big, yeah. big big game looms on Monday now, then Paul, doesn't it? up at Fleetwood. That's going to be yeah, oh, it's a must, well, another must win. I think they're all must wins really if we're going to maintain this point difference.
4: Well, they are, but you know, in, in essence. <laughs> You know, at one point uh, on Friday, you know, Scunthorpe were looking iffy. I think they were losing at one point, or or we were. You know, and I I thought, oh, you know what, we could. There are situations here where, you know, we could we could get near to them, but obviously they they came back uh, strong, and and I think they won that game. Um, Yeah, Fleetwood becomes very very important. Obviously, I'm not sure how great our record is up there. Um, We they they are. They are right up there doing it, um, but you know what? In the form that we were in on Friday, I, I believe we can beat anybody in this league.
0: What a roller coaster season it's been, Paul, in both on and off the field. Um, I can't help but look at March and the slump. Uh, the, there there's a slump after the Tottenham game, uh, and there's was, a, there was a, the hype leading into it, the slump leading out of it. Um, yeah. A lot of us said at the time it was a diversion, and so so indeed it was. Really, it's you know. Let's hope we don't look back and re- rue those um, those lost points after the um, the thumping we got at White Hart Lane.
4: Yeah, but- it's also been said that the um, that the key fixture was the Leicester at home, because um, obviously we got through. We beaten the championship champions of England. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, you know, we're looking at a really, really big tie. Yeah. I mean, I, I was I was praying for Lincoln at home. You know, whatever it was. But, <laughs> You know, we we the prospects of and and people of our vintage that have been before to Tottenham 27, 28 years ago, we thought, well, fuck me, we got to go again, haven't we? We got to go. Yeah, it's the yeah. last game at t- White Hart Lane. Yes, I can. And notwithstanding that, yeah, well, it was a reasonable day out. It was, it you sort of, it had an inevitability about it, the result, and yeah, it, it's damaged our prospects. I, you know, I, I, honestly believe that, and, and I know Harris gets a lot of grief. There was no hoofball on Friday, you know, no. the, 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 and, and anybody that watched the Scunthorpe game, there was. No, I think, I think I'm hoping that the manager is learning, and that he's he's he, he is able to mix it up a little bit. It does seem that to be this fabled from Plan B in yeah. place now, and if, you know we've got we've got some players. I mean, you know, a special mention to Hutchinson. I like him. I think he's a good player. I agree. I don't think mm. we I don't think we missed Cooper. All right, you've got to beat what's in front of you, but they were solid. The, the defense, even with Joe Martin in it, I didn't notice. You know, I'm not a great lover of Tony Craig, but he's all right at left back. But I didn't I didn't notice any change really in the way the back four operated, and that's got to be good, isn't it?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I think the, um, <clears throat> I think you're right about the Leicester game. We we committed so much to that one game, and it was a it was a, it was a landmark game. I think it will live on in everyone's memory that was there. Um, it was a Millwall game, wasn't it? It was the ultimate Millwall game. Ten men, coming back against the champions of England, but it almost seemed to drain so much energy from everyone. Um, Players and fans alike in some ways. It was a strange event. I think that the Spurs game was always going to be um, what it it was. Um, What I do um, take from the Spurs game, Paul, is that I make you right about Neil Harris learning. He is a young manager, but I think he did learn from Tottenham's performance. I think that was a little insight into the levels that you have to aspire to, the wing play of Tottenham that day, the control. And maybe we started to see a little bit of... um, consequence of that, because maybe we're starting to see the exploitation of the wings and and players starting to, you know, use their talent in in, in positions where they can be of danger. Maybe there's something good that will come from that 6-0 funding. Let's hope so. Um, Yeah. Great stuff. Paul Turner, thank you for coming on the show, mate at... um, No worries, Nick. ...short notice. Um, Appreciate your time, mate. Um, I just want to um, say uh, well done to Millwall before we close out, Paul, for winning the Family Club of the Year Award. I think that's another... um, um, important award in in its way at a time. We've got this inquiry looming, which um, I'm hoping to speak to um, our financial man after the, after the break about um, the background and all the rest of it. But the, the mm. winning of the family club award is is um, I don't know. It's, it's a small thing, but a big thing, isn't it? it? It sends a message to those who aren't our friends out there
4: i think it is and i think it's a, it's a big message to send uh from the club to show what the, the the community part of the club um does week in week out and and i know that if you're going to talk to to the finance guy next, it does, you know, it involves the community scheme. It's about it's everything about the club, what they do for families locally, and and for people coming in from from places in Kent like I do. Absolutely. You know, so as far as I'm concerned, it's a it's a very very good award to win. I think that it it's sort of it's the antithesis of Millwall, really, is it? It's a complete opposite about what you would expect of of our of our club, but the the main the main word running through certainly running through this conversation that we've had is family isn't
0: it absolutely it's um, I think it's the there's a cartoon image on the outside those of us who are privileged to be on the inside of it that's everyone that listens into this show everyone that goes to the den every fortnight those of us that um, you know are, 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 those of us on the inside know what the truth of our club is and we also know the uh, we know the other side of it too but this is the real Millwall and long may that continue. Well done to Mill football Club for winning this well done to those that put the family area together i 've never been up there but they showed a few little clips of it on on the um club channel Paul. and it looks quite yeah. good up there kids you know kids um whatever they're, whatever they um First choice the club is. If they go there they'll get the mill bug, I believe. So that's that's really what it's all about, isn't it? Promoting the It support, can only be
1: good
4: yeah. Support to, to for the, future. The, next generation. the next generation coming through is is so important for a club like ours where, you know, like you say we're getting we're getting ten thousand a week, we need more. Um, and and you know, mill in the community, in the wider community, is very important uh, to making that happen.
0: Fantastic, Paul. Appreciate your time, mate. Thanks a lot.
4: No worries, Nick. It's been a pleasure.
1: Achtung, Mehlball.
0: All right, big welcome on the show now to a very special guest, a little-known voice so far, well-known to those of us who have been on the inside of the um, AMS battle um, in regards to Renewal. Big welcome on the show now to Al, our financial investigator. Welcome to the show, Al.
5: Good morning, Nick. Thank you very much. Uh,
0: um, Thanks for coming on here, mate. Um, We are going to delve into the murky world that is Renewal. Um, the, who just to set the scene for any listeners that may have been on planet Mars for some time, um, renewal are the, um, proposed until very recently developer, um, that wanted to compulsorily purchase our land around our stadium. Um, they have been in cahoots. I think that's probably my word, not your word, Al. Cahoots with, um, Lewisham Council for some years, one way and the other, and they were thwarted by the sheer volume of fan effort led by the AMS Twitter feeds and the very valuable work that you've been putting in behind the scenes, Al. Um, now, I just wanted to kick us off, if I may, mate, by kind of describing what renewal is in a sense. I think it's it, it rewards a bit of um, description just to start us off, really. it's It, it is a company with a multitude multitude of layers of ownership would that be the way that you'd you'd put it would that be a fair way
5: yeah that is a fair way nick and thanks for the kind things you just said about the work that's been done it's been it's been a pleasure to, to work with the ms um what your listeners will not know is that as well as being a financial investigator by by day I'm also a lifelong Millwall sufferer. And,
0: uh, <laughs> what a combination.
5: <laughs> absolutely. I mean, you'd have to wonder when I get my downtime. But, uh, uh, so this has been a bit of a labour of love for me, you know, combining what I do and what I love during the day with my bit football club. Okay. But uh, you're absolutely nailed on. Uh, there is not one renewal. There's multiple renewals, and I'll try and bring this to life to you and your listeners. Um, if you look at the UK to begin with, there is a number of diverse renewal companies. Um, the earliest ones were set up in 2003 by yeah. what was then the former mayor of Lucian, Dave Sullivan, yeah. and a former fairly high-ranking official uh, at solution Council, Mushtaq Malik. Yeah, um, it all starts around 2003, which is about a year after uh Sullivan lost out to the well known Sir Bullock
0: for the <laughs> uh, <laughs> the much loved Sir Steve Bullock, current mayor of Lewisham, of
5: course. Absolutely yeah. correct, absolutely correct. And he started off as one of those fairly generic um companies. One of the terms we're using the trade, and you'll you hear this coming up more often, is its corporate vehicle. Okay, that's the term I like to use. So, limited companies. We call an corporate vehicle, and you'll become very clear why in a minute. But um, from one, effectively, what you have is a mushrooming of all different renewal entities, all based in South London, all based in the Lewisham area, um, with similar names. You've got Renewal SC, you've got Renewal Commercial, Renewal Greenwich, etc.
0: Just to (laughs) ask a silly question, and if I may, and forgive me, because I don't come from this world at all, um, I can understand why you'd have a company for a project. Why would you have a multitude of companies out? What, what, what purpose would that serve to have this mushrooming effect? Is, is, is there a – is, is, is a, the thought process behind it would be what, in your opinion? Um,
5: I mean, one other term that's often used is SPV, or special purpose vehicle. Mm. In other words, if you have a project, like you say, uh, let's say, for example, a development project yeah. where – renewal is acting as the um, i mean I've, i'd love to use the word land banking but i say let's say land acquisition vehicle. Yeah. okay you set up a different company and i know that for example you know one of the key findings that were put, pushed out via the ams twitter feed was around renewal south end yes which is the yes indeed. interesting special purpose vehicle that was set up for the purpose of acquiring and well, on the face of it, redeveloping a um, Art Deco pub in the South End in Essex on the seafront. Yeah, yes, but uh,
0: they, Yeah,
5: that's right. So, 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 we'll give a direct answer to your question. He's perfectly. He's quite a good. I say quite decent business practice, if anything, to set up a different vehicle for each project. Right. And if you're looking at the multitude of possible development projects, even just in the, in our little corner of South London. Um You can see that you know it would make sense to have a different company for each, and when you look at them, the ownership is pretty much always the same anyway so
0: there's nothing, there's nothing there's nothing innately suspicious in that it's it's a it's a it's a it's a fairly common practice in the business world to do this kind of multi layered um approach for, per project.
5: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And you can even argue that it probably mitigates the risk because effectively segregates the funds being used for on okay. one project I from understand. another. So it's probably this is probably a good business practice. What is interesting is actually the layer that goes above the UK companies because the UK companies, you've got about, I think it was about 10 or 12, um, some dissolved, some live, a uh, bit of everything. Um, but what's interesting is that in two, between 2003 and 2005, the whole setup is fairly straightforward um, dave sullivan is very much the man i would argue in terms of ownership via shareholding and you've got mustak malik uh, and of course you must remember that the two of them have previous in business via service team which is the giant that they built from the direct labor organization at Solution
0: and service team yeah. was a company or is a company maybe i think it was absorbed which kind of ran co- contracted out services on behalf of councils it was the tony blair era of um subcontracting out traditional things like rubbish collection and um various other estate services of that kind into the private sector and that's where they made they made money from that i believe i
5: They made quite a lot of it by the looks of it, because when you look at the purchase documents and you're absolutely correct, service team was eventually bought out by um, international um, providers. Mm. Uh, I think that the figure that was was being floated around was around 350 million. Of course, not all of it went into their pockets,
2: Mm.
5: but you can still argue that it was built from a sort of local. Almost ideology-driven, if you like, projects. Yeah. You know, yeah. Introducing the private sector into public delivery, um, into into what what he was now. I mean, I think he had contracts with I think near enough every
0: council in what, the UK. Wandsworth I've read about one or two others, some some incidents in, in Barnet, I believe, and places that are like that. Um, and Lambeth,
5: which of course Lambeth, Lambeth brings
0: us to our former uh, to our former. Leader Heather
5: Abbott.
0: There's uh, a name. <laughs>
5: absolutely.
0: Well, I think I mean it's probably just worth a pause there. I and mean, we've already mentioned in the context of Renil Sullivan, who um, was a director at Millwall Football Club, as well as being former mayor of, of Lewisham. Um, and then, as you rightly say, the um, the subcontracted services under service team um, received some um, what can we call it um, some, some support, largess. I don't know what you want to call it at Lambeth. Yeah via Heather Rebats. um, also former deputy chief executive at Millwall. Um, Absolutely. And what's
5: interesting, Nick, is that all of this is open source. All of this is available out yeah. there, as long as you know how to find it. And there was actually quite interesting, because in the early 2000s, there was press, there was, um, I think it was in the, the independent newspaper, yeah. they ran a number of articles about the saga, of a service team coming into Lambeth, which don't forget, is a pretty significant borough. It's a London, huge borough population yeah, yeah. And Heather Abbas was the chief exec, and at the time there was some opposition. I think the Tories were in opposition locally, and they were sort of questioning the deal, and um, that was smoothed over on that side. So the, you can argue again that you know players have known each other.
0: Yeah, this, I, I think it. that's a nice way to put it. I like that term. Play, <laughs> players have known each other. <laughs> I love, one thing this won't know is I've got a great turn of phrase in these, in these things. That's, that's a, I love that phrase. Yes, the players have known each other for some time. We're talking about 1997, the era of Tony Blair, his, his so-called um, new dawn of um, new Labour politics and yes. the subcontracting of public services into the private sector. Um, and we move, and we move. So, um, round about the early 2000s in that case, we have Malik and, and Sullivan forming up renewal and acquiring land locally in and around New Bermondsey, as it's now called. Yeah,
5: that's right. I mean, what you got to remember, I mean, it will be very familiar to all of us. I mean, the, the place has changed dramatically.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
5: in the yeah. last
0: yeah, you yeah. know, 15
5: years and although if you look at sort of renewals brochures you, you can argue that there's so much more to be done um, in reality the landscape has been dramatically altered in the last 15 years so what they started doing was effectively buying up parcels of land in the uh, I'll call it the what well, let's call it the new Bermondsey area because that mm-hmm. sort of covers both Bermondsey and Lewisham, Barrow, South yeah. South southern yeah. Lewisham. Um, what's interesting is that to begin with this It's very much what I would call a cottage operation. There's two people. um, There's clearly some funding in the background, uh, but it's nothing to the extent of ambition that you see with New Bermondsey now. So almost working out of your back bedroom
0: kind of operation is that kind of idea
5: yeah exactly it's one of those what you gotta remember is i mean land land values in london have gone up exponentially especially since the early 2000s yeah
2: uh,
5: it all seems you, you've got to understand the context to understand what's going on here but if you look at the time i mean parcel of land the s 14 at the time would have gone for probably what a parcel of land would go for well out of london these days yeah so it was a different world commercially but to begin with it was very much a small business and so you're you saying earlier what. Well, what could this be? Uh, if you have local know-how, like, of course, the likes of Sullivan and Malik would the have. would do, yeah. yeah. That's right. And funding in the background, you know where to go to identify an opportunity. Greenfield or Brownfield, it doesn't matter. You know where to go. Yeah. And you then contact developer, sell it on, effectively. That's why I said, I don't want to use the word land banking, but you, know, you can argue that yeah. there is an element of that.
0: The acquisition yeah. of land, wait for it to rise in value and then sell it on without any any real effort in that. That's, a, that's essentially a land bank, isn't it?
5: That's right. That's mm. exactly what it is. And that brings us to sort of the uh, 2005 development, which is quite significant when you mm. look at it. Because as I said earlier, that's when the acceleration starts. So, in October 2005, and we know that because of documentation that we dug out in the isle of man yes we know that in october 2005 a joint venture agreement is signed between renewal which at the time was as i said a sullivan and malik operation and jack petrie okay well-known
0: multi multi multi-millionaire yeah
5: correct developer former watford fc owner man of charity man of charity Absolutely, the foundation. So this is a massive. That's a pivotal point in the whole history. And I think October two thousand and five. Whenever somebody will look back on this,
0: yeah,
5: has to be crucial because at that point, what you've got is an operation that, frankly, you and I, Nick, could have set up. Yeah. with local knowledge and a bit of funding.
0: Using your background, so- basically. Yeah,
5: yeah. That's right. Suddenly, entering a formal arrangement with a multi-millionaire with development knowledge background experience pedigree if you like and so, that's where it all goes downhill
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean presumably at that point a foundation an operation like Jack Petchy would be looking at um, South Bermond maybe we could use its real name um, a, a little island of um, semi-industrial semi-derelict land in a city that is slowly but surely becoming this world city we call London now um, and acquiring value, so he would have seen it, and and the likes of Mushdak and Sullivan at that point as links to um, a diamond in the rough, almost you know, a potential a potential site that has a large amount of um, value to be added to it by, by development. That that would be his idea at that stage.
5: Oh, absolutely, and commercially makes perfect sense. Absolutely, I yeah. yeah. you know we talk about London. I think you and I are both Londoners. as yeah. Let's face it. Do you and I know much about, I don't know, Haringey or Barn? No, not really. No.
0: I wouldn't want to start no, not from scratch. No. No, you want you want a, you want an in, wouldn't you? You'd want a, you'd want someone that knows the score. Um and, and also the local authority, of course, as well. The links.
5: Exactly. And, and, you know, that's the point, that you know, that's the disclaimer that
0: always has to be made. You know, revolving doors between the private and
5: public sector did not start with Tony Blair. it happened way before that. Yeah. Uh, and he'll probably continue and he's, he's a market and he's perfectly fine. No, nobody's casting aspersions on that. And the point you've got to remember is uh, the knowledge, of course, comes with strings, if
0: yeah. you like. absolutely. Absolutely. And this
5: is where we are. But uh, what's interesting at that point, going back to the sort of the chronology of it, In 2005 you've got this joint venture between this tiny South London based two-man band really and a giant developer with money, knowledge and expertise behind it. Um, Shortly after that, well actually 30 days after that, um, the British Virgin Islands
0: come into play. Okay. I was waiting for us to leave South Bermondsey and land in the sunny climes of the British Virgins.
5: Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the British Virgin Island, a beautiful place in the Caribbean. Absolutely. Uh, they, um, for a number of years, they've been one of the centres of offshore finance. And this is now becomes crucial okay. to the whole to the whole issue because offshore now really comes into play. Um, the British Virgin Islands is a British territory. It's very small, um, limited natural resources and a very developed financial sector. And one of the key aspects of it is the company formation industry. So let me take you all one step back. You know what I said earlier about corporate vehicles? Yes. That's what a BVI and the Caymans and the Seychelles and Panama and right. Belize okay. and the Isle Man and you name it. Do very well is to provide company formation and management services. In other words, let me, let me just try and put this into context. Let's say you and I go into business. Mm-hmm. Yeah? If we do in the UK via a limited company, all of our details become public. Right. Everything becomes public. Well, via company's house,
0: yes. Correct. Been looking at that a lot, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely
5: <Yeah. laughs> I think a browser history takes us there naturally but, uh, <laughs> you know what, one thing that we should be quite proud of you know, in, in, in our country is the fact that our p- corporate agency is incredibly transparent
0: absolutely it's an amazing thing I've never really looked at it before but I've looked at it a lot since we became involved in this thing Al, and um, you're right it's it's public source information and there's a lot of detail in there isn't there
5: absolutely and, and you know go, go to my example if you and I set up a company here all of our details become public, our birth, the year of birth, our location, Address, company name, yeah, the annual, yeah. exactly filings, annual filings, accounts. Yeah. Yeah. What happens in a lot of offshore jurisdictions or privacy jurisdictions, as they're sometimes referred to,
0: mm.
5: is that the same depth of information is collected but is not made publicly available.
0: Right. So there's the, that's the difference between the two jurisdictions.
5: That's the crucial one. Mm. There's others, but that's the main one. So you and I set up a corporate vehicle in the UK, everything becomes public. Mm. You and I go to BVI or Cayman or Seychelles or anything, and there is a sort of, there's there's a gate between an Mm. investigator and a researcher and the information, and it's not always accessible. Now... I'm the last of the financial investigators left who's a defender of the offshore system because I don't think he's intrinsically bad.
0: Right. Okay. That's an interesting, interesting viewpoint. I've I've heard it from other people too, but I'm, I'm intrigued by that. That's that's interesting.
5: I, I think that there's there's times in life when privacy matters. Okay. If you look, for example, at the for example, the scientific research industry. Um, there's obviously ethical considerations into play Mm. sometimes there's religious considerations sometimes there's good reasons why for example you as a owner and director of a research company would not particularly want your name to be out there
0: yeah no i I get that it's 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 ensuring the 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 reasons for privacy are are ethical i suppose that's if that if that makes makes sense to listeners it's correct it's rather than shielding the bad guys it's shielding the good guys with for good reasons that's right
5: that's right and sometimes what you've got to mean, and i think this is crucial to this sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to be sort of something bad it doesn't have to be criminality mm. sometimes is it can be something questionable something the like tax avoidance for example tax okay. avoidance is legal is lawful mm. uh most self-employed listeners will certainly have Take, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, some who wouldn't exactly? Yeah, yeah. you know, there, there's a famous judgment in the House of Lords in the 1800s saying, you know, tax avoidance is absolutely fine, evasion is not okay. Yeah,
0: that's a different but concept. You, yeah,
5: exactly. So, so there is <clears throat> that, but anyway, without digressing too much, so in November to, 2005, a company which is Independent mm-hmm. Advisors Incorporated mm-hmm. comes into play in the BDI, British Virgins, and yeah. That's the one, yep. and that is crucial to everything that happens afterwards, because that is the missing link to understanding everything that there is to know
0: about renewal. Okay. So from there onwards, we have this British Virgin Islands vehicle called Inde- Independent Advisors, I believe.
3: For, uh, for incorporated.
0: Incorporated. Yeah. We then, at the, I'm just as, just as a side issue, just to digress slightly. We've got 2005. We've got Dave Sullivan still. Sitting on the board of Millwall Football Club, he's still a director at that stage. Um, Heather Rabatz, the former chief executive of Lambeth Council, uh, around that time, I'd, I'd have to check the dates, but she certainly um, comes in during the um, the chaotic period at the club at that point. Two thousand five six, for anyone that remembers, it was a a relegation season. Um, I think that was when we famously had seven managers and six chairmen in the course of one season. Um, and in the course of this, these other events that you're describing so well, Al, we've also got a football club looking like it's in a tailspin. It's losing big money. Um, it's it's failing on the pitch, and we have a chaotic um, period off the pitch, <clears throat> which included at one point Peter De Savary, a property developer, who um, at the time I was I was involved in a, a campaign to protest against. So we, we, it's an interesting. Um, Side events of these developments off, you know, in, in, in far flung islands in the Caribbean.
5: Yeah, absolutely. What you got to remember, Nick, is that, you know, to, to you and I, and to, I'm saying the overwhelming majority of the listeners, you know, Mel say mm. I wouldn't call you a religion because that's a sensitive term, but, you know, he's our escapism. He's, a, for yeah. some of us. It matters. It enough. matters to us,
0: doesn't it? Yeah. That's it's, right. It's an opportunity
5: it. to go back to our roots for some of us, you know, moved yeah, yeah. down the area and everything. But if, if we were to look at it with purely commercial art, is oh, a big old piece of real estate, Absolutely. mile away from the city. Absolutely, you know they're sold
0: to arches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sitting in my seat, I can see Canary Wolf almost within spitting distance. Yeah. So there we are. There's the there's the value of it all. So, um, so at that time, we now have um, we've still got Sullivan in renewal at that point and Mushdeck, but we've now got the addition of the Petchy Foundation. So it starts to acquire. Gathering momentum with the with the offshore aspect to of it as well.
5: That's right. So it gathers momentum on the offshore side because quite a lot of corporate vehicles connected to Petchy. And bearing in mind, if you were to try and draw an organigram of Petchy's interest, you'd be here for another year. But uh,
0: I was hoping to get this done in an hour. Uh, sorry,
2: mate. So you won't get that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a complicated a picture, listeners. Believe me, it's, it's the story's <laughs> complex. But there we are.
5: It is complex, but we'll try. We'll try and distil it down. But um, Petri, there's a lot in the Isle of Man. Yeah, um, yeah There's probably. a lot in the Isle of Man. So naturally, once the joint venture comes into play, you see the development of an infrastructure within the Isle of Man, which again is perfectly understandable. It's commercially sensible. Uh, nothing all there. But what's interesting about it is. In, in October 2005, you can argue, and again, look at an example, if you and I set up a business, land banking, and some suddenly a massive developer with money skills expertise comes to us, you know...
0: Well, you'd be all I'd over him. Exactly. Be, be all over him. exactly. It's catching, isn't it? You know, you're, you're, exactly. your dream is coming true. Um, That's right. That's the moment
5: it. when you you know wave goodbye to a semi and you move out to, you know, <laughs> to, 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 to a country pile to Monaco, perhaps. Exactly. But bizarrely, less than a year later, Sullivan steps out of it.
0: Yeah. An interesting Completely moment, yeah,
5: very interesting I mean you've got a question one of the things that we always look out for in, in the investigations is the does it make sense test you know is this something that's what we've seen before and mm. after um, you know like I said a two man band with local knowledge, bit of land, some financial backing, but presumably not an awful lot of it, given scale, certainly gets gets involved with this huge developer you can pretty much... I mean, if you look at some of the statements come out from Rustag Malik, for example, lately, yeah. about the vision, you know, the, the, the legacy, the, yeah. the Canary Wolf yeah. component of it, yeah. I mean, that's the moment when, if your business partner shares that with you, you can argue, that's it. You know, that's the time to really get...
0: Sullivan is. In. I mean, in some of his interview, I think he, he gave a statement. It wasn't an interview. I think it was either with South London Press or... Um, Uh, It might have been the Southern News. I I think it's the SLP um, about that moment where he mysteriously steps aside from the renewal that he's helped to create with Mushdak. He he, he said he didn't share Mushdak's drive and ambition to become the new Olympia and York, the developers of Canary Wharf, those years ago, Um, and he felt it was it was better to um, step away rather than almost be a I don't know you know a a load on on Mushdak's back at that point. it's an interesting way to 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 view it It's almost selfless in a uh, a mother teresa way uh, isn't it when you're looking at the the, the 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 millions and billions that the development could be worth <laughs> well, i mean
5: look it's it's not for me to prove or disprove what he says or what his feelings are, but I would point out two facts number one. Uh, Dave Sullivan didn't stop dabbling in property investments and development afterwards Mm. because he got involved in a number of initiatives in the southwest. Devon, I believe one of you was South Wales. Um, He he was involved in a company in the Czech Republic. Um, I'm not questioning ambition or lack of or excess Mm. of, but certainly that was not the end. And there's also evidence of... Dave Sullivan having been continuously involved after 2005 in South London as a consultant to a number of local developers Deptford either green that sort of area
0: so far as we can tell he steps away at that point from renewal and it becomes Mushtak Malik um, in in con- in conjunction with um, the offshore ownerships that's
1: where
2: it
5: becomes interesting and, and I'll tell you for a while, I mean, the the, the corporate vehicle in the BVI, we don't know. We've got a certificate of incorporation. We know when it was set up, but we don't know who the owners are because no. we've never seen the shareholding registries. Um, what's interesting about it is that they've sold and sells his shares to the BVI vehicle. At the time, I would argue, and again, happy to go on record saying this, but it's purely speculation, I would argue that. However much money he got as a result of that, kind of been an awful lot because there wasn't an awful lot of assets within renewal. Right. So whatever was paid out to him kind of been a massive amount. Certainly couldn't have been what he could be looking at if New Bernsley went ahead. Um, at the time, the BVI company was actually registered and addressing Switzerland, which the you know begs more questions if you mm. like. Yeah. And also, at that point, what you now start to see, if you imagine Renewal as a box seen at the bottom, mm. you've got a tree coming on the left-hand side, which quite clearly, quite publicly, goes up to Jack
0: Sir Jack Petch, I should say. Yeah.
5: And there's also press about it, the Evening Standard, and the Specialist Press, and all the rest Yeah, of no That's secret on here. that
0: front. Yeah, I agree.
5: No, if none at all, none at all. On the other side, you've got a BVI vehicle. Yeah, of which precious little, if hardly anything, is actually known. And this is where the that's where my concerns are, because right now we don't actually know much about it. I know we've got statements. For example, there was a famous email back end of last year, December, I believe it was, mm. between Mustang Malik and Barry Quirk, the yeah. chief of executive of Lewisham. Yeah, yeah. That's the one, uh, where Malik says, you know, the BVI vehicle is controlled by my family, mm. trust set up with my late teens, and he's born 55, so he would have been around 70, between 72 and 75, really. Yeah. That that could have happened. Um, and that's it. Now, per se, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. You know, having a BVI vehicle controlled by a trust is actually, I believe, the most common incorporation type in the BVI. Nothing untold about it. It's perfectly acceptable. The question is what type of trust is it? You know, is it a trust where assets, monetary assets, land assets, whatever type of asset you can think of went in in the 70s and then matured and now effectively enable uh, the Malik family to be almost 50-50 with Jack Mm Petchy, which is quite an achievement, I'd argue. Yeah, I'd agree, yeah. Or is he a trust that allows for third-party investment within him? Is that a unit trust, for example, where third parties like you and I, and it's usually not you and I, because I think neither of us would fall under the high-net-worth individual tag. No,
0: (laughs) sadly (laughs) not, mate. No, sadly not.
5: (laughs) Investors can go in and, you know, invest into the business because that would be a completely different setup
0: so just to clarify for listeners who may be feeling a little lost here in the british virgin islands and places like that you can have your 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 company your vehicle as we've called it and that ownership there is is shielded and there's a privacy law but it would enable ownership there to be via other other companies other from other places Which we would never know. And there's, there's a new guest on the show there. Who's that? That's, <laughs> my,
2: that's my
5: boy in decided to Come on in. What's, what's,
0: what's, what's your little boy's name? Come on, Al.
5: Topia of Advice is Alison. Alison, <laughs> our little
0: girl. Welcome <laughs> to the show. Alice. So um, that's where it gets potentially, and I think that's the crucial word, Al, because we don't know and we, we're not in a position to make allegations. That's where the ownership potentially gets murky, doesn't it? Via those yes. routes.
5: Yes, absolutely. And that is a crucial question that needs to be answered at one point or another. Because when you're looking at investment, that could be any type of investment. And of course, if you're looking at the scale of what is being proposed in South Bermondsey, that inevitably requires a lot of money to Mm. be available in the background. And I know, I'm aware that PwC, the Accountancy Firm and Advisors, did produce a report for Lucian. Yeah. Although I'm also told that that was heavily redacted, so we don't really know what, no.
0: they, what they said. So much shielding, so much secrecy, so many, so many redactions. Um, I mean, again, often these have good commercial reasons, and there's, this, you know, we, we, we're not, we're not making any allegations, but it is a striking thing throughout this this whole story. Al, how much effort has got into keeping stuff secret?
5: Absolutely, and I think there was a there was a statement that Jordana Malik, who's a director in New York, and of course, of Mustang, the, daughter yeah. of Mustak, yeah. did make almost a throwaway remark during a Lewisham Council meeting a while ago, mm-hmm. when she said the owners are locals, and as yeah. non-elected officials, they don't particularly welcome the intrusion. Which, again, as I said earlier, is fair enough, but
1: the extent
5: to which anything beyond the basic structure has been kept a secret does beg questions around whether perhaps there's more to be found with the appropriate rights of access.
0: Uh, just moving along um, from the 2005, St- Sullivan steps away, renewal starts to make one or two small scale developments really, there's, there was one in, in Catford, Bellingham I believe, yeah. Um and then there was this this famous one we, one that we 've made famous on online locally famous now now Millwall famous <coughs> um, the south end esplanade pub which and the story of that in esen- essentially i was um, renewal acquired a a um a fading glory of a of a pub a nineteen thirties art deco pub on the esplanade um and with with grand plans to redevelop it didn 't they was going it was going to be um you know, a kind of a, an estuary overlooking block of flats. Um but nothing much really happened. Nothing much happened, mate.
5: No, it did isn't. It's quite interesting because oh, I'm I'm actually quite quite familiar with South End, our family there. Yeah. And um that part, I mean the Barbola Cans is beautiful. Mm. If Ninety no, architecture uh, Architects is Your Thing. Yeah. Um beautiful views of the Thames of the estuary, a great location. Long Slow is short, there is a uh, the land is acquired. There's is all again going back to the publicity of records in the UK. Everything's available. All the mortgage charges are available. That's everything is above board. Mm. The land is acquired. The shut down. Shutters go up. Becomes a bit of an eyesore, I'd argue, Yeah. as you can imagine when the is left to go. Plans are submitted and eventually approved. Very, very interesting development. It kind of resembles New Burma's vision, to an yeah. extent.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, it's interesting.
5: Glass-fronted... <laughs> You know underground car park, you know the kind of um, the kind of development that takes an old-fashioned English seaside town into some kind of retreat if you like. yeah. Um, but the whole thing collapses. Um, and the potted history of it is that most um, Malik blamed and that's all in the local press blamed the economic downturn, mm-hmm. 2007, 2008, the credit crunch yep. um, the fact that there was no interest in the land etc. Um, eventually, after a long time, the land is uh, sold on to a Swedish-funded developer, which eventually discovers that there's a sinkhole. Sold, sold
0: on at profit. Incidentally, listeners, that was it was, the, 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 it was they sold it for more than they bought it, so it's good business and. No, no. Basically, no work took place. Out did it. It was it was land land banking. Shall we, shall we use that um, term again? Well,
5: I think we can definitely use it now because that's exactly what you had. You, you purchased a bit of land, and don't forget at the time two thousand and was two thousand and five or two thousand and six that the land was acquired. Yeah. Southend didn't have an international airport.
0: No, no. no. He's got
5: one now by you the end know, that time. Um, there was parts of South End that were run down. They're no longer now. Mm. Uh, the Olympics hadn't been. Um, the sort of in the, the movement of people from London to, to Essex had already started, but not to the extent that they've seen after. So, from a business perspective, that was a great move because they literally bought the land, sat on it, made sure that no one squatted in, and sold it on for money. So. so- I was like,
0: so in terms of renewal history, I mean, certainly as I've looked, and I am no expert, I, you know, I I, I I don't claim any expertise in this, but, but that South End, Renewal South End, Esplanade, um, we won't call it development because nothing took place, but certainly the profit made from doing nothing seems to be the biggest event of renewal's history in, in practical terms um, prior to the involvement in New Bermondsey and what we see in front of us now. There's, there's, there's nothing else on the scale of that, is there?
5: Um, there was there was an interesting development on the Lee High Road in Lewisham. Right.
0: Um,
5: the, some listeners may may be familiar with that. As you drive sort of from Lee to Lewisham and Town Centre, on the left hand side you will have seen a branch brand shiny new block of flats, fairly low rise going over the last three or four years. I believe there is a bit of gold at the front. Um, that is marketed by L and Q. The London and so Quadrant, now,
0: big big housing housing trust, yeah. That's
5: the ones. And that land it was renewals. Right. Um, okay. however you've got the same you've got the same pattern, if you like. The land is purchased and at the time I, I remember it well, it was just a little parade of shops with, you know, flats above it, nothing to shuffle the rooftops about, typical yeah. South London environment you'd argue. Uh, land is purchased very heavily mortgaged, by the way. Very, very heavily mortgaged. Okay. Um, and, and again, everything is public, it's a Nationwide Building Society played a part in it and others. Uh, there's charges put in by Petri, okay. so we know, for example, that Petri has a financial interest in that as well. Okay. Um, and then it goes up, thanks to, to, to L&Q, and I think it's now a viable development, I think it's being sold now all units have gone now apart from a commercial one but again this is more land banking than development Mm. this is more the acquisition of the right piece of land at the right time for somebody else to actually do the work i'd argue
0: so over the over the years since then up to about 2011 when the planning process i believe begins and that's that's the starting point of the impending new burman's inquiry that has just published its website this week listeners um basically renewal as well as doing these other bits and pieces, Al, they would have been um acquiring land in and around Mills Football Stadium. Um and then in, in twenty eleven begins the story that brings us to our current situation. That's that's the planning application to Lewisham Council and the you know the the, the, the kind of idea that they're going to become major league developers. they really the, the new Bermondsey as it's come to be called, South Bermondsey development, is on a a scale quite removed from anything they've tackled or taken on so far. Absolutely.
5: <clears throat> Absolutely, Nick. And uh, you, you can, I mean, if you're talking about track record, anything that they've done up until that point may have been commercially viable, but certainly on a far smaller scale yeah. than, than what we've seen. And there's no indication, that's another point they're talking about with a layer of secrecy or privacy. Uh, the transparency in terms of funding is just not there. Because, again, going back to what I was saying in the beginning of our chat, um, if you're a certain size in the UK, you have to publish your accounts if you're a corporate vehicle. And you and I and any or not all the listeners can go online, can download the accounts in a nice PDF format, and work out what money is there, or isn't there, for a business. Yeah. You don't have that same requirement in the Isle of Man. So even though, for example, the Isle of Man is a very useful corporate registry, you have to pay a fee, but the documents are there if you know how to find them. And, and we do,
0: or you do. <laughs> and we do. <laughs> <Yeah>. Thankfully, because <laughs> I would have
5: had a clue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff available, but accounts aren't. Right. So you know who the shareholders are, you know where they live, you know their names, you know their base of birth, you know the incorporation, you know all the addenda, etc., but you don't see accounts. BVI is exactly the same. Um, and that's a crucial part because when you're looking at South Burrows and New Burms, you you like, uh the running costs are significant. You know, there's been a lot of land acquisition around the area. Yeah, We know, for example, and I've got a list, there's about 68 land titles currently in the name of Renewal in the Isle of Man around the ground, around the den. Yeah. It's about 60 or so the uh, orion industrial estate is there
0: off the old ken road runner yeah yeah
5: that's right exactly so all of that is already there. the assembly you can argue is taking place what is missing from a transparency perspective is wh- where's the money now yeah how much money is there? who's put it in because you know that the argument that right. renewal isle of man which ultimately controls the whole infrastructure is a 50 50 petri and Malik set up, in the words of Mushtaq Malik, I'm quoting here, mm. doesn't really answer the question as of, is the financial power of really
0: 50-50? The, the Isle of Man, I mean, some one of the most interesting documents that... Um, You've, you've dug up for us Al, I think is the um, the list of directors of Renewal Isle of Man one of the many um, vehicles we were I called. knew you'd say that yeah well, I've been itching to say it all, all through it <laughs> um, it's a very interesting document isn't it I mean um, and I don't think it was a, a document that anyone ever expected to see the public light of day um, for a number of good reasons one of which is that Mushtaq Malik lists his home address interestingly as um, Monaco, south of France, a tax haven, uh, you know, um, uh, home of millionaires and billionaires.
5: Um, A a famous retreat for former Lucian employees.
0: (laughs) 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 Used to be Eastbourne. Well, there you go. Now now it's it's Monaco (laughs) on the south of France. Um, So that in itself um, is interesting. I I think that's probably the best word I can use without um, going too far into the... uh, The speculative realm. Um, So Mustak has his home address listed in Monaco, which is nothing illegal about that, but there it is. Um, And then two rather interesting names also sit on the board of Renewal Isle of Man, Al. Um, One, Mark Angst, as in the as in the german word for anxiety strange and it's, it's really odd odd double uh, i know in literature they say you should always choose your names carefully because they always put other images in your mind so mark angst, which is the German word for an unnamed anxiety and another odd name diana brush as in Correct. as in basil now these two right. these two people are very interesting um owner is a mark is an owner of guest trust S.A., a Swiss financial um, company? I don't, how would you describe guest trust in, in your world, um, Al?
5: There's, there, there's many places to guest trust. There's a fiduciary company. There's a company, formation business. Is, a, is an advisor to the high net worth individuals of this world. What it is is not uncommon. Uh, guest trust actually, if you do just a basic Google search, you'll mm. find a guest trust is connected to a multitude of uh, very interesting weird and wonderful it's interesting <laughs> absolutely and it goes from land mining to um to say this finance what they do in a nutshell um they they set up corporate vehicles okay so for example the fact that i said earlier that the bvi company was linked to a swiss address which happens to be guest trusts hq in geneva yep. kind of confirms that so they have the ability to set up companies anyway they can manage trusts, which again brings us into the realm of
0: trust. <laughs> who, who lies behind renewal, yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. Exactly. And they also offer nominee services. And what a nominee is, is effectively a, somebody that lends their name to someone else for appearing on a public registry. Okay. So, you know what I was saying earlier about privacy and the fact that some, some of us may not necessarily want to be uh, publicly recognisable. One easy way of doing that, and you can actually do that in the UK if you wanted to. Hmm is to buy nominee services meaning that if i was to set up a company and they didn't want my name to be publicly available i'd go to the local guest trust and say i want a nominee normally comes to about it's around thousand in the thousands every year the nominee lends their name their passport to you there right. is a document in the background a power of attorney document where effectively they sign off all authority to me Their name is publicly available, but I'm the one that makes the
0: decisions. It's an unusual world for a local authority to move in. Um, But I I can see, it sounds on the fringes of, um, probably on the right side of legality, Um, but it sounds fringe. Is it it fringe in your experience?
5: Possibly, possibly. I mean, again, there's this is something that's often used in context. for example, if you look at the adult industry, I mean, what images am I conjuring up on a
0: Sunday morning? But uh, <laughs> if <you're, laughs> the conversation's taken an unexpected turn, but yeah, the adult the adult no, no. industry, okay. <laughs>
5: <laughs> if for example, at the adult industry, you know, the, the the owners, the beneficial owners behind some of those websites and publications, may not necessarily want to be publicly associated with it. Yeah for a multitude of very lo- lawful reasons. Yeah. Um, and that's when nominee services become useful. Valuable. Because effectively, you know, to the casual observer who does a quick search, a completely random name comes up and the real owners are sitting in the background without exposing themselves
0: so you can maintain your respectable face whilst potentially earning money from um babe station or something something of that kind not we're not going to slag off babe station because i know there's a lot of fans out there Um, exactly
5: okay (laughs) so so there is a perfectly lawful it. of course there's also the the, the potential misuse where you can have a nominee and there's covering up for somebody that perhaps shouldn't be there so to speak okay now What's interesting about it is that Brush and Angst are uh, senior. I believe Angst is actually the owner. I believe, I believe he Brush is. Brush yeah. is a senior
0: yeah.
5: senior employee of Get Trust. Now, if you do a random search for them, you'll find them everywhere. I believe that between the two of them, they've got over 100 directorships in the UK, clearly yeah. as nominees. Yeah. Uh, Brush appears in the United Arab Emirates, appears in New Zealand, uh, So. so you know, nothing, for, for those of us that have worked in offshore for a while, there's nothing untold about it. Mm. You, know, you, you just know that you're going to find these people. What's interesting about it is that the Isle of Man document shows two directors there that are consistent with a relationship with Petch's empire. Okay. You've got Mushtak of Monaco uh, sitting there as a director, and then you've got Angst and Brush mm. as directors. Now, and you have to follow my flight in, what you always get with nominee services is the ability to use the same names for interests controlled by your company so let's say that your bvi company is just an investment vehicle that's got multiple companies in other places Behind it,
0: yeah,
5: yeah. that's right you can get nominee directors such as angst and brush mm-hmm. to fund those companies everywhere okay and your name need them be there
0: okay so, so that they will question, do your bidding basically, don't they? They will act that's on right. behalf. Yeah. That's right. So okay.
5: thanks to the power of attorney document, you are pulling the strings in the background, but they are the public name. So when people like me go digging, all we find all we find is the same names that we've always found. Okay. So my question is if you were Mustang Malik and you were paying guest trust to maintain your trust, set up the BVI. And don't forget, you have to pay quite a hefty sum every year to maintain. BVI, I would imagine you operation. would. do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I can't believe angst and brush come cheaply. No. That's right. And you were paying for that.
5: How would why would you then remain a public figure? Yeah. Together with them. Don't get me wrong. It could be, and again, we're going back to the lawful side of it.
1: Yeah.
5: It could be a perfectly legitimate reason that you just want to be there, or you have to be there, or you want to be a director.
0: Yeah.
5: Or, and again, I'm absolutely straining into the speculation territory here.
0: <laughs> Go on.
5: <laughs> what you could have had is a scenario where perhaps they are representing someone else.
0: Well, it's an interesting angle, and that's 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 the. I mean, no one no one's in a position to point a finger or to say anything. Or, you know, there is there is no proof of anything here, Al. Is there? But that's a potential, and that's a potential that would worry me if I was um, a low level local councillor, a mayor of a, of a, a, a borough in South London. And I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing the, the, the associations of Mark Angst and Diana Brush. Anyone can do this on Google right now. Type in Mark Angst, Diana Brush, Guest Trust SA, and see what pops up, because you'll swiftly come to a French corruption scandal. I've been bashing it away on on, um, on the internet, um, and that featured them, I would imagine, here as, as nominees on behalf of a corrupt French politician, um, to, whether to their knowledge or not. That's
5: that's right, which explains exactly. So just one second.
0: Phone. <laughs> 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 Shall we? Do you want to call me back in two minutes? Absolutely, mate.
1: Achtung, Mailball. Mail Mail
0: that was a wonderful moment. I'm going to leave that in the in the piece, that bit. When the, <laughs> it just makes it really nice. <laughs> and I don't blame oh, him. It's boring, Dad.
5: Oh,
0: my. i have forgotten where we got to. Um,
5: um, so We're we re- talking about uh, guest trust.
0: So guest trust, Al, um, a F- Swiss-based financial operation um, starring two... Names of 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 some internet repute. If you type these, listeners want to check this stuff out themselves. Type in the word guest trust sa and Mark Angst, spelt A N G S T. Stroke Diana Brush, as in Basil. Um, Two. I think we've described them as nominees. Our the, the people that kind of stand in front of other people for transactions and 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 uh, and and um, you know, arrangements of various kinds. Would that be a fair description?
5: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Effectively, what it is, I mean, the, the nominee framework is all above board, and, and you find this in many, many jurisdictions, including the UK. And effectively, what it is, is an opportunity that certain firms like Trust offer their client to effectively use someone else's name yeah. that consciously sold their details onto them and for, for public registries. So, for example, you know, we are saying earlier about the transparency of yeah. companies in the UK. Um, If you had a reason, genuine reason, legitimate reason, for not wanting that level of public exposure, then you can effectively take on the services on a nominee who could be anybody, really, and they get a small amount each time their name is used to front a company or any other public vehicle.
0: And there are companies in in London or the UK that would do this, as as indeed there are around the world, and and Guest Trust based in Switzerland, which has its own... Particular jurisdiction on 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 financial matters. Um, they they're, they're clearly an active company. The, the the names of Angst and Brush appear in many forms on online. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And I suppose in one particular interesting angle, and one one that I've bashed away at online. Listeners may have seen this, and um, uh, they may or may not be aware of this particular case. But one of the it's one of the pitfalls of the whole process in many ways. I think from from uh, an outsider's point of view, is you know, it, one particular search re- reveals um, Angst and Brush acting in a on behalf of French politicians linked with various misdemeanors, corruption, tax evasion, um, bribery, all sorts of stuff. Um, and Angst and Brush have, have, have stood as nominees in a, uh, a property transaction in Morocco, I believe, of particular interest, which um, has uh, is of interest to in the authorities in both Morocco and and in France, I believe. Uh, a scandal yeah, quite sure well known. That.
5: Yeah, and that's the downside of it because, effectively, what happened, and again, you're looking at something that could be perfectly legitimate, or in that case, could be hiding something untold. And, effectively, in a nutshell, what they did, they were engaged by this French politician and his wife, uh, balcony, balcony. His was, yeah, yeah, um, were effectively they were looking to uh to effect the transaction on a purchase of a villa in Morocco um and angst and brush via a panamanian company and another setup which i believe was in the seychelles but it could have been in any of the other islands mm. um effectively fronted it um there's, there's more cases than that as well I mean, there, there was one court case where Dinah brush actually appeared in court to explain there was a dispute in case of a trust which guest trust managed i have to say guest trusts were not the defendants there mm. um in fairness to them but but this is very much the sort of layer of complexity they were looking at. And this is what I've been trying. This is how I ended up involved in this with AMS. It's probably worth pointing out. Um, I, I've i offered my little expertise to them back in mm. the last year. Yeah. Always as if to say, look, I, and I recall when I first talked to Mickey Simpson, who's oh. now, of course, uh, the great and good uh, <laughs> fan of the vault. Lord, Lord so Simpson. After, no. <laughs> Absolutely, it's Lord Simpson. (laughs) And and I remember the whole whole process commenced with me saying to him, you know, there's a lot of this that will remain behind locked doors of privacy. Veils of privacy, Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But there's a lot of it that is actually traceable via open source, which effectively is any type of intelligence that does not require any sort of state. Appointed powers to obtain it. It could be anything from a newspaper article to a company filing to a transaction and the Internet's fantastic for that. Yeah. And that's, that's how it all came about. And, you know, the, the whole guest trust um, scenario is a perfect example of how deep you can get to purely by searching um, in, in the right place. And I have to say, I mean, guest trust clearly comes into this very early on, because if you look at company sales UK filings for renewal, In 2006, that's when the name Independent Advisors Incorporated, the British Virgin Islands vehicle, first appears. But the address given is not the usual Virgin Islands address, it's the Geneva address belonging to Guest Trust. And what that tells me is that regardless of who engaged Guest Trust, whether he was Sullivan, whether he was Malik, whether he was their accountant, whether he was Petri, Petri's PayPal, it doesn't matter. These individuals have been around the whole saga for now 11 years. And that is important to understand because this is not something that comes cheap. Uh, uh, nominees, trusts, and everything. The maintenance, I believe the maintenance of the BVI company is about 500 pounds a year for not doing anything. So, mm. you know, you time that 11 years, they really would have paid dealings, you know, five and a half thousand
0: you don't need, for it. You'd only do it if it was worth your while to do it, Al, wouldn't you? I mean, it, there's, there's no reason to mount this kind of secretive operation if there was no purpose behind it. Um, Absolutely. I mean, the other thing I just want to say with, with Guest Trust and these two individuals, Mark Angst and Diana Brush, is um, the the corruption scandal apart. Let's, let's park that to one side. Um, I've, I've not turned up anything that's particularly... Um, well, no, certainly nothing illegal um that i've found on on google um but that said, those that move in the the city circles um say that guest trust has a has a red light attached to it if 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 no um, how should we put it um respectable financial institution would deal with guest trust um as as, as a starting point would that be would that be your understanding of of the situation?
5: Let, let, let me pull it on that. Um, since the introduction of the money laundering regulations in the UK in 2007, they, they were here before that, but that's the latest one. Mm. Um, financial institutions and other regulated institutions, they include solicitors, lawyers, lenders, all sorts, have to conduct due diligence on who their clients are. It's called KYC and it stands for know your customer. Okay. And, and they have to conduct that prior. To enter in the relationship, you know, when you set up a bank account, and you have to turn up with your utility bill, or your passport, your passport now, yeah, indeed, that's right. And then you, then they do searches in the background, you know, the credit bureaus, all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, in the corporate context, that's of course on steroids. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. no longer just a yeah. passport. You need to understand source of wealth. So, where's the money coming from, etc. It's perfectly plausible. I mean, I don't use those systems personally, so I think it um, it wouldn't be appropriate for me to comment in the specifics. But I would point out from knowledge of them that undoubtedly if there is what is called adverse media against a certain individual or institutions, it is well known that the software being used by a regulated entity would throw up a red flag. Yeah. And I'd say that, you know, even just what we found, Balkany and other connections, etc. I say that quite, quite, quite a red
0: flag. We I might mean, my, my command of French is is not I'm not fluent in it. But if you any re- listener that wants to check and look on Google, type in guest trust and the word blanchiment, which is whitening, which means money laundering. Type it in, press send, and see what comes back. You you get quite an array of media reports relating to this particular scandal, the Balkany scandal. Um, including words like tax evasion, money laundering, um, you know, bribery of public officials, and so it goes. Um I mean my, my question to Lewisham Council, if I were in, in the inquiry, would be, you know, if, if you and are using the most basic Google searching can come up with this kind of stuff. Um, Lewisham can too, and if you see that you would I would run a mile if I was a public official seeing these kinds of links attached to a, a contractor that I was or doing any kind of business with, from you know, whether it's sweeping the front steps of Catford Town Hall to certainly a billion pounds worth of, of property development, you would you would want to put some clear blue water between you and that develop uh, that company. Um, if, if one was on the side of caution,
5: well, I think, Nick, you know, if there's a sort of final word to be said about all of this, I think, uh, it would be absolutely uh, unfair of anybody involved in this to sort of point fingers and sort of argue yeah no i agree anything to do with uh, you know corruptions unfairness anything like these are big accusations i think one one I know, I know that the ams said that many many times you know we have to be careful what's being said and i absolutely agree with that yeah. um you know the london property market is notoriously complex yeah. it's truly global uh, using corporate vehicles in sort of privacy legislation is nothing unheard of. Um, what I would say is that there certainly appears to me, from a judicious perspective, that more could and should have been done by Lucian yeah. in terms of actually understanding who they're doing business with. Uh, the whole KYC I spoke about earlier—I think that's a crucial, crucial component that I think has been left um, not in the best of states I'm afraid.
0: It 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 seems to me. I mean, I I am no expert. I, I just speak as a layman, but and I do have some knowledge of the world of local government, which is traditionally risk averse. I mean, it's traditionally, uh, it's not the arena for the um you know, for the for the golden geckos that want to strike strike it big. But um, you know, it's it's it should be um transparent. It should be above board. It should be demonstrably clean and that, you know it may well be we, we don't know enough or we can't find out enough now about the the layers that lie behind some of these offshore entities of renewal we we can find the isle of man linkages which takes us to the angst and brush and it takes us inevitably via the internet google to this scandal which includes words like laundering and property uh, transactions fronting shell companies in you know, far flung places you know about Al Mauritius and Panama and places like that. Absolutely. And you wonder where the caution is. Where is the risk averseness? Where is the um <laughs> where 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 is the, the, the what should be a you know, a public sector approach here, which is to be seen to be above board. I don't see it. And that, that would raise questions for me.
5: Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, like I said, everything that has been done, and I know for the benefit sort of for the benefit of the listeners everything that you've seen on the social media that AMS put out, all the work that I've done in the background, none of it actually ever strayed from open source. So no. nothing that we've actually put out there required any particular powers or any authorizations or anything
0: to be obtained. Any authority, no, I agree, yeah.
5: That's right. And, you know, just as I do this, there's plenty of commercial companies out there that do exactly the same. Um, when you're looking at the South Burman's, uh, New Burma's initiative. You're talking. I think the finished article is in the billions, and, and and I'm with you. I mean, I've, I've no particular noise of the p- public sector procurement mm. uh, process, but it certainly appears to me that, prior to certainly in a CPO context, you would argue that having full visibility and transparency over who the beneficiary would be sounds like sound business sense to me. If anything,
0: I mean, just to just to close out this piece, and it's been very. Um, <laughs> Interesting. I I hope it's interesting for listeners, but one or two things that keep leaping out of me are these, and leap is the word, there's there's a leap, isn't there? We've gone from renewal as a pretty much a back bedroom, two-man setup to suddenly playing at the very biggest tables with some of the very biggest money on on a billion pound, possibly two billion pound development. You've got an extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary amount of support offered to that um, one-time small-time company from Lewisham Council. And you've got a, an extraordinary lack of diligence on the linkages that are there to be found with on, on Google. Some some huge questions for the, for the inquiry to, to delve into, Al. Yeah,
5: absolutely. And I think, you know, ultimately, this is all down to this is all comes down to transparency. This has nothing to do with, from my perspective, ultimately who because. We've all been crying out for regenerations, and I think this is something that, you know, has been motored around me wall for many, many years. There's no doubt that there is potential to be unlocked in the area. Uh, the, the, as a, and I'm not a illusion taxpayer, but if I was, the question that I would raise to my elected representative is, have you done all you could to understand exactly who you're dealing with? Uh, are you absolutely comfortable that the information that you've got is reliable? And if, in the end, if they are, then so be it. But the process has to take place. And this is something that is incredibly important, especially when you're looking, like I said, at London property market, which inevitably takes us into far-flung places and uh, all sorts of investment ventures.
0: That's fantastic. I'm going to let you get on, mate. I think you've got a kid's birthday party of some sort or some kind of family gathering to get well, to. Must have the whole family turning up. <laughs> <laughs> it's been wonderful talking to you, Al. I really want to appreciate what you've done. And thank you for the information you've given us. And um, I hope we can talk again as this inquiry unfolds. I'm sure it's going to be an interesting one. Likewise. Thanks, Nick. Thank all the best. All you. the best to you, mate. And I'm not going away you have been over me. He over me I'm
1: You've been listening to Octune Millwall, the CBR magazine podcast. That's the Millwall news this week and we are out of here.